0: Now, in my experience, growth usually comes from a source of pain or discomfort which pushes you to try something new or interrupt an old behavior simply because you come to realize that the pain of remaining the same, of remaining who you are and where you are is far greater than the discomfort it's going to take for you to change and try something new. My intention for this show to inspire growth within you. So if you want to familiarize yourself with the journey many have taken to drastically change their lives, this is the place to be. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grow With Moin podcast. I am your host, Moin Zuffer, and welcome to the show. So today we're going to be talking about a seven-year-old boy who got lost in Beijing and was only found uh, 20, 20 years later. It's, uh, it's not what you think and uh, this is a story about the power of belief and the capacity it can have to radically shift our life. So this is a story about me, and um, a bit more background to myself is that I was born in China, in Guangzhou, and I am a twin. But before we dive deeper into my story, I do want to talk more about the power of belief and the capacity it has to shift our reality. Now I'm going to... Talk about a study that I saw while reading a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakiani. Now, this study was reported in 2007 in Psychological Science by doctors Ellen Langer and Alia J. Crum. And uh, it involved about 84 hotel maids and how much they exercised. Now, as anyone who's done any sort of cleaning ever, they would tell you that, you know, whenever they do clean, it's it's a lot of work and you do end up burning some calories. But uh, when these women who were interviewed and uh, part of the study, they were asked if they get any exercise done and about a third of them said that they don't get any exercise and the other two thirds said that. They don't get any exercise done on a regular basis. Now when the doctors assess their physical fitness, they seem to be as fit as any uh, sedentary folks who don't move a lot. So here's when it gets interesting. Now the researchers implanted or shifted a belief about work that these maids had. So so they told, uh, told about 44 of the maids that their daily activities met the Center for Disease Control's activity guidelines and the Surgeon General's guidelines. They also gave them a calorie count per activity and they placed it um, in a place where they could see while working. Now, this is all they did. They just gave them some new information about work and a month had passed. Now, a month later, the researchers came back and they assessed the woman's physical fitness and they found that on average, these women had lost about two pounds they had lower blood pressure and overall were significantly healthier based on measurements of their body fat body mass index and waist to hip ratio and the only thing that had changed in this past month was the information that the researchers provided these women about their work being exercised and the result caused actual physical change in the bodies of these mates so the researchers concluded that What's become known as the placebo effect, which is results that appear to come purely from a person's mindset instead of uh, from a specific medication or medical treatment, plays a role when it comes to exercise as well. How about that? Think about um, the time when you go to the gym and you think or believe that you're not doing enough or you're doing something wrong or whatever workout regime that you're on is not enough and... think about the possible effects it's having on your physical body as well. This is not something to be taken lightly, guys. The power of your mind, the power of your belief is very, very strong. In fact, according to Wired Magazine, almost half of all the drugs that fail in the last stage trials drop out of the pipeline due to their inability to beat the placebo effect which is the power of your mind, the power of your belief to cause physical changes in your body and in your reality. All right, so now we can get back to my story about the seven-year-old boy who got lost in Beijing. So uh, my dad used to work in uh, in China uh, and uh, that's why we lived there. That's why I was born there. And after about two to three years, our family had to move back to Pakistan. And uh, eventually my dad started Working in China again, and we would go visit him, my mom and uh, my siblings, almost every summer. so this particular summer, I was seven. my dad was living in Beijing. We were there during our school break in the summer, and uh, we had to go for a grocery run one particular day, and my dad was not home, he was at work, so we didn't know how to get to the grocery store. Uh, my dad had a maid who helped maintain his apartment in Beijing, and she offered to take us there. But only to take us there and not take us back. So we went to the grocery store with her and she left. So I, as a seven year old boy, was uh, very confident. I had a huge belief in myself and uh, I wanted to take on more responsibility all the time. So I was really confident that I could lead everyone back home. And so I, uh, you know, advised everyone there to follow me on the way back. So we finished our groceries, we were all outside, so my my three siblings and my mom. And so I started walking, you know, with a lot of confidence up in front, you know, just marching on and um, everybody was following me. I was like, okay, great. And so I kept on going and going and going. So after about five minutes, I think I looked back, I looked back because I was a little uh, confused as to where to go next. And I looked back and there was nobody behind me. So no mom, no brother, no uh, no sister. So I was a little confused. And at this point, I realized that I had gotten lost. You know, seven-year-old boy in the middle of Beijing, surrounded by foreigners, I just started to cry. And uh, that caused a huge scene in the street. And there was a huge crowd now that was gathered around me and I was in the center of it. You know, apart from... Just being scared, I my other frustration was that I, I could not communicate with anyone else as to, you know, what my situation was. There was, uh, everybody, you know, spoke Mandarin or Cantonese. And so I was just there in the middle, bawling my eyes out. And eventually, one individual came forward. So he was also a local, but he spoke English and he asked me, you know, what was wrong and I told him that I'm lost and I I don't know how to get back. And he offered to help me and he took me to the nearest police station. And this is a miracle in itself, right? Like um, in the middle of Be- Beijing there's a foreigner who's lost and um, someone offers to help him. This could have gone so many ways, right? Anyway, so we end up at the at the police station and you know, they started to ask me questions and I did not have anything to tell them you know this was I think my first first week in this new place I did not know any addresses I did not know my dad's phone number I I just had no clue and so you know I I just I just knew my dad's number sorry not my dad's number I just knew my dad's name and that's all I could give them and you know this was 1998 or 99 And so, you know, naturally 7-year-olds weren't running around with cell phones at this point. So now began the waiting game. I was sitting and uh, these people were trying to figure out how they could help me. And uh, so we went to the grocery store in the morning and now it was around lunchtime. I remember this because I was hungry and I went into my pocket and I had a chocolate bar which I had gotten from the grocery store and I started to munch on it. And as I, you know, ventured into more of my pockets, I realized that I was holding on to the keys of our apartment. Naturally, I just uh, gave it to the kind stranger who was still waiting uh, with, the, with the police officers uh, all this time to, to try to help me get to my home and reunite me with my family. So as soon as the police officers saw the keys, they got very excited. And uh, I thought, you know, that was it, that, that I'm going to be home now, safely. From, from that point, it took another couple of hours. So now it was evening, almost nighttime. Eventually, everybody got in the Jeep, including the guy who uh, took me to the police station. And now we were driving off. It was a nice drive. I remember enjoying it. There was you know nice weather, nighttime, it was an open roof sheaf and I was really enjoying it and then a few minutes into it I realized, wait, I don't live this far. Why are we driving for 20 minutes? This does not make sense. We ended up arriving at a random apartment complex and I immediately told them that you know this is a place that I don't recognize and I don't live here. But they sort of ignored me and carried on, so we went into a random apartment building to a random floor to, and knocked on a random door that, you know, I had no idea who was going to be behind that door. And so someone opened the door, it was a Pakistani family, they handed me over to them. I was telling the guy who, uh, who sat with me pretty much the whole day to get me here that this is not it, this is not my family, you know, he just sort of said bye and, uh, you know, that was it. So this family took me in, they gave me food, and eventually they told me that, you know, they knew my father. I kinda <laughs> when I'm looking back now, I think it would have been better off if they started with that instead of giving me food. <laughs> but hey, who am I to complain? Right? I was a seven-year-old who got lost in a foreign country in Beijing and was now about to be reunited with his family on the same night. How lucky, right? So um, they gave me food and we got in their car and they drove me back to my family. We came to our apartment complex. My dad, my mom, they were all waiting outside. I rushed to my mom and I noticed that everybody wasn't happy. Not that they weren't happy to see me, but my mom was upset and my siblings were quiet. And it was because obviously my dad was a little upset that they had lost me in Beijing and um, you know it's understandable that he was upset and he was taking out his frustration whatever it was on the family so when, when I saw that obviously I felt that energy and from that experience I sort of created a belief that I am not fit to lead that whenever I lead people close to me get hurt and I get lost and It was only through a series of personal help tools like meditation, like hypnotherapy, and like asking myself introspective questions, trying to dig in to who I really am, that I stumbled upon this story again within myself. And I found found that seven-year-old version of me still lost, still hiding, not wanting to lead again. You know, once once I uncovered the story, I had to reunite myself with the seven year old who was so ambitious and always wanting to lead and always wanting to take on more responsibility. And I told him how old I am now and that I promised that I would never let him go. And that was it. So there was some regulation that happened, and by that I meant that by emotional regulation I mean that there was there was tears because this is energy, this is emotion that was trapped within me for all this time. And finally I came, I came to a point where I could process it, regulate it, and come to terms with it and reunite this old part of me to myself. And once I did that, I saw that things around me started to change i started to remove these unconscious old barriers that i was putting in front of myself and i started to lead with my voice i started this podcast show after that before that yes i was thinking about starting this podcast show but then i was creating these unnecessary barriers along the way that hey this is the reason why i can't lead with this with my voice Oh, it's going to be too expensive. Oh, who's going to listen to me? These are all unconscious barriers originating from that old story, that old belief that I created as a seven-year-old. Now, I'm not saying that it's impossible for you to move forward without healing these parts of yourself, like without healing these stories. But if you do, it just gets so much easier and it gets better. You're moving forward without this huge resistance, without this huge inner struggle where you're fighting battles within yourself, trying to get somewhere you want to be. And then once you heal these stories, these beliefs, that ride is so much smoother and you're fully committed to where you want to go. And it happens at a much faster rate, it's less stressful, and you feel free. And that's something that I can tell you from my experience. Now, I want to give you some more context around this. And this is from a book called The Biology of Belief, written by cellular biologist Dr. Bruce Lipton. Now, in his book, Dr. Bruce Lipton found out through his research that children between the ages of 0 to 7 on average are on a different brainwave frequency than the adults are. Now, they measure this through a device called an electroencephalogram, or an EEG, which gives you a reading of the brainwave states that you can be in at any time. Now, as adults, we we go up and down different brainwave states, and different emotions can be linked to different states of the brain, but that's for later. So children between the ages of 0 to 7, on average, are in a different brainwave state. And these brainwave states are labeled as theta. Now Theta, as Dr. Bruce Lippin explains this in his book, is um, imagination. Theta is when I can take a piece of uh, cardboard and pretend that it's a flying carpet. And to me, it will be a flying carpet because Theta is imagination and Theta is also hypnosis. So yeah, that's right. We dive into the same brainwave frequency when we're under hypnosis, uh, like when we were kids. And this is Theta. Now, this is why, you know, people tell you that children's brains are malleable, because children at the ages around this age are absorbing everything that's happening around them within their community, within their family. They're observing all the rules that they have to live by, which are, by the way, there are millions of rules that you have to take in when you're born into this world to live a life according to uh, what the culture is, right? So between the first seven years of life, a child is not really fully aware because they're taking in all the information to be aware of at a later stage. Now think about everything that could have happened to you when you were a kid. You know, you can't really possibly remember because we oftentimes forget uh, memories like these, but everything, every incident that may have happened, you possibly created a meaning out of it which could have been empowering or which could be something that's reducing you or disempowering, like my own belief about not being good enough to lead. Now, as kids, we attach meanings to situations because we're creating beliefs, and those beliefs basically become the imprints of how we act in the world that we're born into. Unless you're aware of these beliefs that are reducing you, that are standing as obstacles against you know, things that you might want to do, You can't really move forward as fast as you may want to because there are these beliefs, these imprints that are holding you back. Now, this could be something very simple, like a teacher telling you that you're not good enough, or you're not good at maths, or you're not good at speaking some language, or some kid in school telling you that you're ugly. And you know, you as a kid, you attach meaning to that situation rather than understanding now as an adult that that was just a kid being a kid, right? But you don't know that when you're a kid and you're attaching meanings to these possibly disempowering situations that have occurred in your life and you carry that with you once you get older. Now this is why I I really believe in doing introspective work about going through processes like meditation or hypnotherapy so that you uncover all these beliefs that you created so long ago because you did not know any better. Scientists are just beginning to understand this phenomena as the technology improves and our 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 study our understanding of how the brain works improves. And now while the bad news is that our models of reality, as Vishen Lakhiani calls them in his book, are, or our beliefs can cause stress, can cause loneliness and worry, the good news is also that we can replace them, we can delete these old models that we have adapted, these old beliefs, and we can improve on them by installing more empowering beliefs. Now, this is very much possible because this is still in your control. You are the one who created the old disempowering belief when you did not know any better. And now you have the power to delete it and upgrade it to a better, more empowering belief that actually helps you where you want to go. And the only thing that you have to do is become aware. Now, I like to give the example of a peanut and a huge watermelon. So the beliefs that you know that you hold can be the size of a peanut, and the beliefs that you don't know that you hold can be the size of a huge watermelon, right? And so you have a lot of things to work with, but even if you can shift and become aware of one disempowering belief, that can go a long, long way into helping you upgrade and creating a better life for yourself. Now, I would like to wrap up this episode with another study that was conducted. Uh, by Dr. Robert Rosenthal on the expectation effect. Now, basically, he discovered that even lab rats performed better or worse depending on the expectations that the researchers had about the rats. Basically, the researchers were told that they had smarter or dumber rats, when in fact, the rats were, you know, just rats. So he took this inquiry to the classroom where They did IQ tests on some students, and basically the teachers were told that five of the students outperformed all the other students in the class when it came to scoring better on their IQ tests. Now, these students didn't actually, in fact, score higher scores. They were just randomly selected. And now here's the good part. While the IQs of all the students improved over the school year, The students who were selected at random, the five students, their scores were much better. Basically, the expectations or the beliefs that the teachers developed about these five students resulted in them getting higher scores. Now, this study was published in 1968 and it was called the Pygmalion Effect. Now, Dr. Rosenthal and his colleagues spent the next 30 years verifying the effect and learning how it happens. And it has also been found in business settings, in the courtroom, and even nursing home. So what's the bottom line here? It is this, our beliefs influence both us and the people around us. You know, we create beliefs and realities about behaviors of our spouses, our lovers, our bosses, our employees, our children, our teachers, and the research is now showing that our beliefs influence how others respond to us also. So how much of the irritating or negative uh, characteristics you see in others is really a belief you're projecting onto them. That is the question that I want to leave you with at the end of this episode. I hope you guys found this episode valuable. If you did, please let me know. Message me at the Grow With Muin podcast on Instagram or shoot me an email at... Info at the Podcast.com because if this is the kind of stuff that you guys like, I will work on producing more of it so that you enjoy the content more because after all, you are the audience and I am creating all of this for you to empower you, to make you aware of old beliefs and help you improve your lives and create better realities for yourself. Now, for those of you who want to take it a step further, I'm also creating a more intimate community on Patreon.com. Now, Patreon is a community where you can get to support financially some of your favorite shows and you get some amazing perks in return. For example, if you decide to support my show in any way, you can get access to behind the scenes content, some exclusive content. You can get to be part of a community where you can discuss some of the topics that I can talk about on the show, even future guests that you want to hear from on the show and even also even get an opportunity to be on the show yourself if you want to. Now, if you're interested in, in this at all, head on over to patreon.com forward slash grow with moin and you can see a few options that I have available for you over there to support the show. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in to this edition of the Grow With Moin podcast. If you liked what you heard, Please subscribe to my show so that you don't miss a future episode. Feel free to leave a rating, a comment. If you want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is the Grow With Moin Podcast. Once again, thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.